moment you dream about as a kid growing up trying to play in the NHL, and he scores! Back for episode six of the Cracker Jack Sports Show. I'm your host, John Coro, and today we're looking at the top free agents for Major League Baseball. Well, if you're only a fan of baseball, then you should definitely be looking forward to future MLB news. There will be many signings, many trades, many extensions, and more throughout these next five months. It's a bit too early to start guaranteeing moves, so this makes it a perfect time to start discussing the top players on the market. But before you do that, make sure to follow the Cracker Jack Sports Show on Twitter at Cracker Jack Show and on Instagram at Sports 434 That is Cracker Jack Show on Twitter and Sports 434 on Instagram. Well, it's been about a couple weeks since the Braves won the World Series, so not much has been cooking on the hot stove. But there were a few transactions that have occurred over the past week. First one being Wade Miley being claimed by the Chicago Cubs from the Cincinnati Reds. It's a very small move, and like I said, it was early in the postseason, so can't really think much about this move. It's just, I don't know what direction the Cubs are taking. Like Obviously, they're rebuilding, so... Wade Miley isn't exactly what you'd call a young pitcher, so I don't know what this move means for the Cubs, but if anything, it's probably going to be like a mid-rotation starter to help solidify the starting rotation for the Cubs. Three other early moves that were made in the offseason, Andrew Velasquez, Greg Allen, and Tim LaCastro, all short members of the New York Yankees, left in a matter of days. So Velasquez went to the Los Angeles Angels, Greg Allen to the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Tim LaCastro to the Red Sox. Not much to think about this move. I am going to miss Andrew Velasquez. Still, I love his memory of hitting his first career home run in front of Yankee Stadium, in front of his family. So no matter what teams he goes to in the future, he's definitely going to remember that moment. Greg Allen going to Pittsburgh, I... Okay, I guess, like... The Pirates are one of the worst teams in Major League Baseball right now, and Greg Allen isn't exactly what you call a good outfielder. So I don't know what the Pirates do with this move. I guess hip, hip, hooray. (laughs) Tim LaCastro going to the Boston Red Sox, though. I guess this is a good move. I mean, like I said twice already, it is the beginning of the offseason, and little moves are made at this time. But maybe this could solidify the outfield depth in case someone gets injured, like Alex Verdugo and Hunter Renfro. Like, if one of them gets injured, Tim LoCastro could be that scrappy hitter for the Boston Red Sox. News for the Minnesota Twins. Jace Tingler, former manager of the San Diego Padres, got signed as their bench coach. So, yet another move I cannot really explain so much, but the Twins are in deep trouble right now. They they had World Series ambitions going into the 2021 season, and they finished dead last in the AL Central. And whenever they do make it to the playoffs, they either lose in the first round or they lose to the Yankees in the ALDS, just like they have for the past 12 years. And there were two more Yankees moves that were made in the early stages of the offseason. For example, former New York Mets manager Luis Rojas got hired as a third base coach for the New York Yankees. Another okay move, I guess. I guess Phil Nevin is gone, and I know he defended his decision, so you could see Phil Nevin leaving right away. I did not expect a former manager to be a third base coach for the New York Yankees. Just as long as he doesn't send runners when it's at the cutoff man and the runner's not even at third base, I guess we'll be okay. 
And the Yankees would also sign relief pitcher Joely Rodriguez to a one-year contract. I've loved, I love Rodriguez. He's actually pretty decent on the New York Yankees. And I just hope the Yankees do good with him in 2022 because if not, then there's a good chance he leaves at the trade deadline. Or if the Yankees do do good, like a lot better than they expected, and they go shopping at the trade deadline, then it's a good chance Rodriguez leaves for like a blockbuster trade or getting like a big name price, you know? And that's pretty much it for the early transactions that were made to start the 2021-22 offseason. Some moves have already been made, but overall, not much exciting news in the beginning portions. However, there are plenty of free agents that will be signed by the start of the season, and we still got a long way to go. We're going to be going over a list of the top 20 free agents this offseason. There are some big names out there, and all baseball fans, including myself, are very anxious to see what happens in the next few months. So without further ado, let's get started. Starting out at number 20, we got Clayton Kershaw of the Los Angeles Dodgers. We can't deny it anymore. Kershaw is officially out of his prime, and it shows with all the elbow and back injuries he has suffered throughout the 2021 season, and he just hasn't been himself either. He got quickly ruled out by the Los Angeles Dodgers with all of his injuries, and Max Scherzer kind of took over for his fame. In fact, he did more than that. Like, he did pretty good out of the bullpen and starting games. So, with everything going on with Kershaw, a multi-year contract is a big risk for this guy, and... I know it's a bit too early for these predictions, but the team that makes the most logical sense in getting Kershaw are the Texas Rangers. I know, I know it's a rebuilding team, and there's a chance Kershaw doesn't even want to be there, but the Rangers have always been known for getting high-risk, high-reward pitchers, and to be honest, they've blown up in his face. For example, Lance Lynn got signed up with a two-year deal with the Texas Rangers, did not perform as advertised, had injuries, He leaves in 2021 of the White Sox, had a career year. Then next, Corey Kluber. He got signed to the Rangers, I believe, right before the pandemic hit. Kluber literally pitched two-thirds of an inning before being taken out of the game, and that was his only claim to fame as a member of the Texas Rangers. Comes to the Yankees in 2021, he returns to his 2018 form. So I could see that happening with Clayton Kershaw just because that's the Texas Ranger way. And I know Kershaw's a veteran, but he'll bring his old man power to whatever team he lands after the Texas Rangers. So moving in at number 19, we have Eduardo Rodriguez, another high-risk, high-reward player. In 2021 regular season, to be exact, he had a career-worst 4.93 ERA, but a 27.4% strikeout rate. So... He'd be a good mid-rotation starter, and he's just one of those guys where you you can't let him hit the ball because if they hit the ball, runs are coming in, like runs and runs and runs. He only gets batters out by strikeouts, which is a good thing, but also a bad thing. Like, And the fielders he had behind, Red Sox are a very good defensive team, so you can't blame it on them. He just, as soon as the batters make contact, if they don't strike out, you're getting on base. That's how you describe Eduardo Rodriguez. So, he is very risky, but he could be a massive steal. Like, whatever team he signs to, whether it's the Red Sox or someone else, he could be a big, big steal in the rotation. If he goes back to his form and just dominates hitters, then it'd be worth it, you know? Speaking of high-risk, high-reward players, we go to number 18, Noah Syndergaard. He might be the most high-risk, high-reward player in this whole free agent group. The injuries he's had over the past few seasons have been tremendous, like absolutely tremendous. So if he gets re-signed by the New York Mets, he might have to accept a qualifying offer. Syndergaard, man, he hasn't really pitched to his full potential. He really hasn't. And I know he's had career years in the past and all, just like Matt Harvey and other Mets pitchers, but I just don't see it with Noah Syndergaard anymore. He's suffered so much, and Thor wants to lift up that hammer, but it's just too much weight. So, And he hasn't pitched frequently since 2019, in which the full 
or excuse me, the last full season the Mets pitched for the, with that guy, he had a 4.28 ERA, which is not good at all. And if he does leave the Mets, just like Kershaw, it'll be a one-year contract. Now, unlike Kershaw, I can't predict which team he goes to, but he there's no way a team signs up to two years unless they're playing very, very risky. At number 17, we got Anthony Rizzo. Rizzo's a very interesting player. After the 2017 season with the Chicago Cubs, he had a massive decline. 2018, he struggled. 2019, he struggled. COVID-shortened season in 2020, he got a little better, but still not typical Anthony Rizzo. And first half of 2021 with the Chicago Cubs, just like the rest of the team, he pretty much fell apart. And so getting... The New York Yankees getting him was a good thing and a bad thing. We thought he was going to continue to struggle and worsen the Yankees. Well, the complete opposite happened. He turned the clock back to his 2016 form. Three home runs in his first week as a member of the New York Yankees. Now, obviously, he couldn't keep that up throughout the rest of August and September, but he did pretty well as a member of the Yankees. And the for the Yankees, now... I can't really predict which team Anthony Rizzo goes to other than the New York Yankees. The Yankees seem to really love Anthony Rizzo. So if he does get signed back, then Luke Voigt gets traded. However, I feel like the first move the Yankees should do is sign back Rizzo first, then trade Luke Voigt if that scenario were to happen. Now, Rizzo's not a huge cancer in the locker room. He won't do anything stupid, but... You never know. I mean, some player might leave just because of money, and in order to prevent that and still have him on your team, you got to sign him back, then trade Luke Voigt. Because Voigt had so less playing time this year that I don't think he even would be mad if the Yankees decide to let him go. He's probably going to request a trade in this offseason either way. Now, don't get me wrong. When Voigt leaves, or if Voigt leaves, I'm going to miss him. Very much. He's done so much to this New York Yankees team, and it it would be a big loss. But as long as Rizzo gets signed back, I don't think the Yankees would be in big trouble. I love Anthony Rizzo. I'll always remember, if the Yankees would win, would have won the World Series in 2021, the turning point of the season would have been on July 31st, 2021. Anthony Rizzo, I believe it was the top of, top of the sixth inning against the Miami Marlins, hit a home run second deck, which was a bomb, like 440-something feet. I'll always remember that as a moment where the Yankees were not done, were not in the abyss yet. The Yankees were something else. And it was a shame that we lost to the Red Sox in the wild card game, but yet again, Rizzo homered in that game too. So he's, he's such a good player for this New York Yankees squad, and it would mean a lot if he gets signed back. Moving on to number 16, we have Starling Marte. Now, there must have been something very interesting with the trade because after Marte was acquired, he didn't do so bad. In fact, he did pretty good with the A's, but the team itself took a massive decline. And many teams will try to get Starling Marte because of this, but it's very unlikely that the Oakland A's sign him. He's 33 years old, and if a team locks him up for, like, I'd say four years, you're getting him out of his prime. Like, oh, by the time the contract is over, he will be out of his prime. And with Ramon Laureano coming back from his PED suspension he suffered in early August, I think the A's would would just not have enough cap space to sign Starling Marte. Now, if they do trade Matt Olsen considering the A's might have to go in a rebuild, then then Marte might get, signed ba- might get signed back. But especially, like I said, since the A's are in a rebuild and they might not have the cap space to even sign Marte back, it's very likely he leaves. Now, I'm not trying to be a biased Yankee fan. There's no way Marte goes to the Yankees, but I'm pretty sure whatever team he goes to, it'll be paying him good bucks. I'll tell you that. At number 15, we got Javier Baez. This is, without a doubt, the most riskiest free agent in the market this year. And I do not over-exaggerate when I say that. Baez has one of the worst swing and miss rates in all of baseball. 
increasing from 28% to 33%. And that's not the statistics you need for a team like the New York Mets. They're competing for World Series champions. And to not even make the playoffs when he gets here at the trade deadline, that is not a good look for Queens. And that's why I don't think Baez stays. He, I think he leaves and he only walks 5% of the time. So not to mention he will be getting older and his flaws of his swing will get worse. So what do you do? And I'm just saying the New York Mets, I don't think they sign him back. I just don't know which team is willing to throw money at Javier Baez because he wants to go for a contender, no question. And I don't see him signing with the Chicago Cubs either unless he's his dedication for the team stays and he eventually does go back. I just don't see it. He He's going to a big market club like probably the Dodgers or Giants. After all, the Giants are getting older, so that's a typical San Francisco move. But I hope whatever team signs him knows the flaws of this guy. What could it really happen? He's not the superstar that we all predicted him to be. Like He has so much more potential. He has too much talent to be called a bust, you know? And which... I guess if the New York Mets did sign him, it would make that much sense because it, it would make sense and not much sense at the same time because Baez is, in his first two months as a New York Met, Baez showed that he couldn't really be a member of this club going like over five in like the second game as a New York Met. So it wouldn't make sense, no doubt. But it would make sense because... What if he plays one more full year on the New York Mets? Baez could be a lot more better than we thought. On the Chicago Cubs, he didn't really produce much in the year that they won the World Series, but as Addison Russell had his like suspension or whatnot in 2018 and Baez moved to like short, he got a lot better, like a lot better. We saw a lot more potential out of this young man, and maybe if the Mets sign him to at least one year, we, we can see his full potential, but in my opinion, I do not think he signs. The Mets release him. They rely on Francisco Lindor, and they they pull their typical low Met. So obviously, a lot of different predictions go around for Javier Baez, but not much go for this next guy, number 14, Chris Taylor. I think he gets signed back by the Los Angeles Dodgers. He had a breakout season last year, including an incredible postseason he had the walk-off home run in the wild card game to send the Dodgers to play the Giants a three home run game in an elimination game National League Championship Series and he's one of the best utility players out there he has made over 20 appearances at second base shortstop left field and center field all this season Dodgers have suffered a lot of injuries they kind of remind me of the 2019 Yankees next man up next man up and then eventually they come short in the American League Championship Series. This time it's the National League. But anyways, he had a 330 on-base percentage and 780 OPS. And he is without a doubt going to land a big contract, whether it is from L.A. or not. At number 13, we got Michael Conforto. He didn't play as well as the New York Mets or himself imagined. He really struggled in 2021. And he, he missed some time with a hamstring injury for the second time in two years. So his injury prone or his injury liability question still comes in to see if he remains healthy for a full season or not. He's still entering his prime. And many teams feel confident that Conforto will return to, the, to New York. This was just a bad year like for Conforto overall. 2020 and 2019... Even 2018, he was ripping the cover off the ball. And, you know, he just had a bad year. And I feel like Conforto, if he returns to the Mets, will bounce back. However, I don't think the Mets might sign this guy either. I feel like the Mets, even though they missed the playoffs, they have a chance. They have a shot in 2022 to win the World Series. Like, definitely a World Series contender. And... um I just don't see Conforto leaving the Mets so <laughs> leaving the Mets so easily. Sorry about 
the background noise over there. The Cracker Jack Sports Show is not responsible for any noise heard in the background of our podcast. Anyways, back to Michael Conforto. He, I don't, I don't know where this guy goes. He sucks. <laughs> All right, as you can see, the Cracker Jack Sports Show. Hold on one second. All right, sir, sir, we're gonna have to ask you to leave. Um, the crack. <laughs> Sorry, we're experiencing some technical difficulties here. Um, yeah, I, I just think Michael Conforto, if he were to sign anywhere, it'd be someone like the Philadelphia Phillies or even a rebuilding team, because this guy's got plenty of promise as a young player entering his prime. So. Best of luck for Michael Conforto, and hopefully he lands on a good team or somewhat rebuilding team in the future. All right, so at number 12, we got Carlos Rodon. What a story for this young man. He he got cut by the Chicago White Sox, or I think the Chicago Cubs, one of the two. He got cut in December 6th of 2020, and then right before spring training, he was bought back to the White Sox on a one-year contract worth $30 million. A lot of people were wondering why they were paying Rodon so much, and so was I, but we, we thought it was going to be a complete bust. He, he might have took that personally because he had one of the best seasons of his life, including a no-hitter earlier in April. In fact, it would have been a perfect game if it wasn't for a batter hit by one of his pitches. 2.47 ERA and a 35.1% strikeout rate for the season overall. So Rodon was a steal in signing him back, and he'll definitely land a big contract, life-changing, from the Chicago White Sox or another club. Now, I mostly say Chicago White Sox because there's no way they let Rodon walk so easily. Now, obviously, if he if Rodon gets offered more money than the, than the Chicago White Sox, obviously he's going to choose that over Chicago because Rodon's a very talented pitcher in this day and age, but... Chicago will definitely try. There's no way he just walks out of free agency just like that. Moving on to number 11, we have Nick Castellanos. Now, beside all the memes he's had for the past two years, we could safely say 2021 was his best season. He batted over 300 for the first time and is a part of the 30 homer club. He'll definitely be one of the top free agents in the outfield and could be very useful teams. I don't know if the Reds sign him back, but he he'll be a steal either way. And just like Rodon, I don't think the Reds walk let Castellanos walk so easily. I think Cincinnati signs him back. I'm usually very against people signing back just so I could get bashed for all my predictions, but I just think that Castellanos gets signed back. At number 10, we have Marcus Stroman. Now, he hasn't been as lights out as past seasons, but still has a 2.88 ERA, which is not too bad for a full season. He'll have plenty of multi-year offers to choose from, probably as a number two starter. I just feel like the Mets haven't let him pitch to his full potential, but the Blue Jays did. And the funny thing was, the year Marcus Stroman was traded to the Mets at 2019 trade deadline, he... He said that he didn't like the Blue Jays like not treating his quote-unquote veterans well. So, But yet again, I feel like Stroman pitched a lot better in a Blue Jays uniform than he did with the New York Mets. And he has started consistently for the past four or five seasons. That is including 2019. So if Stroman could revive, I feel like he could sign to a multi-year offer if for a competitive team. But if it's a non-competitive team, I feel that'll be a one-year contract just to see if he gets traded at the deadline or not. At number nine, we have starting pitcher Kevin Gaussman. Now, Gaussman came out of nowhere on the San Francisco Giants. And a lot of people say 2021 was the year he revived. Not much people noticed it, but I think 2020 was the year he revived. He he was chosen as a starting pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, and even though the Giants just missed the playoffs, Gosman had a great year. Like, he was unbelievable. And believe it or not, he is still in it in his prime. 
He just had a lot of downfalls recently after struggling with the Orioles and getting sent back and forth from minor league teams. So he's still in his prime and has a 2.78 ERA. And during this 2021 season, he reached a 200 strikeout milestone. So that's another, that's a great milestone for any pitcher to get. And I just think because of his good bounce back years, 2020 and 2021, he receives a good payday for whatever team sized him. I mean, re-signs him. He regressed. A, he regressed a little after the All Star break. Excuse me, All Star break, which could be one of the risking factors for a team that signs him. But if you're the San Francisco Giants, you shouldn't worry too much. I feel like Gosman gets up, gets locked up long term by the Giants. It'd be very tough for any other team to swoop in and try to get him because Gosman is definitely a number two starter, if not a number one starter. At number eight for the Toronto Blue Jays, we have Robbie Ray. Another great bounce back season. He turned the clock back to his 2017 form. Not much. The reason why I say that is because not much of you remember, but Ray was an all-star on the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2017. He just struggled so much. And then once he came to the Blue Jays in 2021, he was phenomenal, making him an argument for the AL Cy Young Award. And... He just he was signed to a one year deal before the twenty twenty one season just to see if there was enough gas in the tank. He did that. He he bounced back and then some. Ray was unbelievable that season. And if teams look at his talent as legit, he will get a massive contract. Maybe it is kind of risky if Ray could keep it up consistently because, like I did say. He had an all-star year in 2017 and then just regressed. Now he has an all-star year in 2021. You hope, if you're the Blue Jays in 2022, that he doesn't regress. So signing him back could be a little risky. But if a team does swoop in and get him, and then Ray continues to be dominant, it'll be a steal in free agency. Quite possibly the biggest steal all offseason. Moving on to number seven, we have Max Scherzer. Scherzer is 7-0 with a 2.08 ERA in nine starts ever since joining the Los Angeles Dodgers at the deadline. Scherzer wasn't too great. I wouldn't say he was bad, but he wasn't too great with the Washington Nationals in 2021. It must have been the excitement going on the Los Angeles Dodgers. He was unbelievable. He's aiming to win his fourth NL Cy Young Award, and World Series contenders like the Giants, Blue Jays, Braves, and the Dodgers themselves should be willing him to offer a contract for at least three years. I don't, I don't think he gets signed to one or two years. In fact, it might even be like a, a massive seven-year contract. Just it's going to be a World Series contender because if it's not, then Scherzer's not joining. He finally got the taste of being back in the postseason because don't forget, 2020, he had a huge break from it, went on the Washington Nationals, and 2019... When he was on the Washington Nationals, he finally experienced playoff success. And that's why I think these World Series contenders are a perfect fit for Max Scherzer because not only are there, are do the World Series contenders need him, but Scherzer would love to join any of their team, even if it's not the Dodgers. So it's a win-win scenario. At number six, we have Marcus Semien. He had undoubtedly the best season in his major league career in 2021 with the Toronto Blue Jays. One of the best second basemen in all of 2021. 45 home run season. And, you know, he's definitely open for a three or four year deal, but he deserves to make way more than $18 million. Don't forget, he was brought in by Toronto for a one year contract worth $18 million, like I said. And he was unbelievable. There is no way, and I say this, no way Marcus Semien leaves the Toronto Blue Jays. They definitely sign him back. Whether Semien is greedy about it or not, they're not letting him go. There is no way. At number five, we have Trevor Story. And let's just say it, it is pretty clear that Trevor Story will not be a Rocky for the 2022 season. He expected to be traded from the rebuilding Colorado Rockies at the trade deadline, 
but they didn't let him go, and then he stayed for the rest of the year. In fact, there were, like, tweets going on saying Story was already hanging up his Rockies jersey by July 31st because he thought he was going to leave. I thought the Yankees or, like, the Cardinals were going to get him, but nope, he stayed as a Rocky, and he's most likely going to leave after this season. I think the Yankees are... This would definitely suit the Yankees. Even though they're more focused on Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, I feel like Story is a good backup plan if none of those work out. And that's pretty much it for Trevor Story. Like, not many teams, surprisingly very low teams, are interested in Trevor Story. And the Yankees seem to be the only one looking for shortstops so far. So, Story would be a great fit for the New York Yankees. I definitely see him in navy blue. At number four, we have Freddie Freeman. Fresh off a World Series win, Freeman is easily a top free agent on the market. I feel as if Atlanta wants to re-sign Freddie Freeman, it's likely going to cost over $150 million. Call Freeman greedy all you want, but he's one of the nicest players out there. And to be honest, he deserves it. He played great. During the 2021 World Series. I know it got a bit outshined by Jorge Soler. Who would win World Series MVP. But Freddie Freeman had a very, very solid performance. He pretty much took the spotlight of Ronald Acuna. And <laughs> I just feel if Freeman is re-signed. And Acuna is back from injury. Right back to where he started from. I just feel the Braves are going to go back to back. I really do. And if other teams want Freeman, they will have to outmatch Atlanta, especially since the Braves won the World Series. It's it's a tough decision. Free, the only I feel the only way Freeman leaves is if someone offers him more money. Other than that, I feel like he's definitely going to stay with the Atlanta Braves. At number three, we have Chris Bryant of the San Francisco Giants. Obviously, we all know he left the Cubs, who were doing a fire sale at the trade deadline, to help the Giants keep a very close series with L.A. He actually did pretty good that series. He really improved his 2021 season when joining with the Giants. But a lot of people were saying he didn't do as good on the Chicago Cubs. I disagree. He did pretty good. There was a reason why he was an all-star for the National League. He... Wasn't too bad for the Cubs, which made him pretty much a perfect fit for leaving the team. I know it sucked for all the Cubs fans out there, but it had to be done. And since he could definitely play outfield and third base, he is an option for many teams. The San Francisco Giants, I know Bryant played third base in the first, I say the first month as a member of the Giants, but once players like Evan Longoria and Brandon Crawford came back from injury, he had to be the starting center fielder for most of the series. And he did pretty good. He's one of the best defensive players out there. To not only be a gold glover at third base, but do it in the outfield too. I mean, come on. Chris Bryant could do it all. At number two, we have Corey Seager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Even though he has dealt with a few injuries, Seager is a regular season and playoff warrior. Don't forget, in 2020, he won the World Series MVP because of his great performance. I mean, hitting 10 home runs in in a postseason is is ridiculous. Ridiculously good. And this offseason, he'll become one of the highest paid players in the MLB and will most likely play short or third for the team he signs. Yes, I feel like he gets paid the most. And it's... I really want him to like try third base because I feel like Seager would be a very good fit for that option. I've always wondered, even just playing Little League Baseball overall, shortstop and third base, they're pretty much identical. The only difference is that you're not the cutoff on most occasions at the third baseman, and it's a bit of a longer throw. Other than that, if, if a player is playing shortstop, there's a good chance they know how to play third base as well. There are big rumors that he is going to the Yankees, which which is why Story is a good backup plan, as I mentioned earlier. But I feel, even as a Yankees fan, he might want to either stay with the Dodgers or go to a World Series contender like the Braves or Giants. Just Yankees, it's kind of hard to admit, but Yankees are not a World Series contender. They really are not. And 
they should be competing for World Series, but they're not doing so well. And that's why I just think, I don't think he betrays the Dodgers like that. So I just feel like he leaves. Or no, I just feel like he stays. But if he leaves, I don't think he goes to the Giants. So forget what I said about the Giants. I mean, they're still a World Series contender, whether we like it or not. But there's a chance Seager, if he leaves, does not go to the San Francisco Giants. Which brings us to the top free agent on the market this offseason, the big fish at number one, Carlos Correa. Most of you guys might have forgot, but during the 2021 season, Correa did say he will not return to the Houston Astros in 2022. You will not see him in the orange and navy blue anymore. And the Yankees are targeting Carlos Correa. This is one of their big targets. This is It's a successful offseason in Brian Cashman's book if the Yankees get him. And despite the cheating scandal, the Yankees would have no problem with him on the team. Which... If Correa does join the team, I'm, not, I'm never going to forgive him of the cheating scandal. No way I'm doing that. But even without the bang-bang trash can stuff, he's pretty good. Like, he has a lot of talent. Correa's been raking even without the trash can. So I think if he joins the Yankees, Carlos Correa wouldn't have a problem. The, on, the only thing is... The only thing is that... Would Correa even want to sign with the Yankees? That's a problem. Just, I don't think the Yankees players would take Correa, would love Correa on their team so much. And he does, Correa does play in the city of the Houston Astros. So you hope he doesn't crumble under pressure in like New York. Because let's just face it, players like Joey Gallo and Giancarlo Stanton, when they first came to the Yankees, they crumbled under pressure. Like they just can't stand all the hatred of New York Yankees fans. So if Seager, if Story or Seager signs elsewhere, however, like they don't sign with the Yankees, there's a huge possibility Correa comes to the Yankees with or without. So those are pretty much the top players of this year's free agency class. I can't wait to see what the outcome is. And this group of free agents just shows how unpredictable baseball is on and off the field. We're now going to touch base on what has happened in the NHL this past week. Now, since this episode is thoroughly focused on the MLB, we're not going to recap every single game like we usually do. Instead, we're going to focus on the final scores and which player or event led the way for each game. So we're going to start things off on last Thursday night on November 4th. But before we do that, we have to talk about Brady Kachuk becoming the new captain of the Ottawa Senators. It happened last Friday morning, and this will be Ottawa's first captain since the 2017-18 season when Eric Carlson was still on the team. All I can say is congratulations to this guy. Like, I know he can be a dirty player and is hated by opponents, but becoming a captain is such a great accomplishment. And he must have taken that news greatly when he heard he was a captain because he would end up scoring his first goal as a captain the very next day. In Islander Nation, Leo Komarov, however, recently went back to the KHL. Look, I'm going to miss Uncle Leo, but what has Komarov really done as a member of the New York Islanders? If you're a hockey fan or an Islander fan overall, just please let me know on the Twitter comment, on Twitter or Instagram, what has Komarov really done to make me upset about this trade, you know? Okay, back to hockey. So, on Thursday, November 4th, the Islanders won 6-2 over the Montreal Canadiens. Brock Nelson had a four-goal game. What a performance by this young man. I know one of them was an empty netter, but still, great performance by the Islander veteran. Bertrand and Marshawn combined for eight points, and the Bruins would end up winning 5-1. Jordan Eberle, former New York Islander, would score his first hat-trick in Seattle Kraken history beating the Sabres 5-2. All I can say as, as an Islanders fan is this is just deja vu. Like, this is typical Islander Nation stuff that happens. As soon as Everly leaves the brutal city of Long Island, then he's he's doing great on Seattle. I love, I love what he's doing, just carrying the Kraken, and I wish him luck in the future. You just, you gotta love Ebbs, you know? But anyways... The Florida Panthers would improve to 9-0-1 to start the season, winning 5-4 in overtime. 
Maple Leafs will win their fourth straight, winning 2-1 to one in overtime. Robin Leonard would backstop the win, stopping 38 of 39, winning 5-1. to one. Miro Haskinen would collect his three assists in an overtime win, 4-3 to three, the final score. And then Chris Letang would score the overtime winner against the Philadelphia Phillies in overtime, 3-2 to two, the final score. Not to mention Brandon Sod's two-goal night, leading the Blues to a 5-3 win. On Friday, November 5th, we had about five games in this one. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl shine in a thrilling win, winning 6-5 to five in overtime against the New York Rangers. This is arguably the game of the year between these two squads. Connor McDavid, what a goal to tie the game at five. Like, Just search up Connor McDavid goal on YouTube, Google, Instagram, whatever. You, that will come up because that is one of the best goals I've ever seen. The next, for the next game, Troy Terry would extend his win streak or his goal streak to 10 games. His point streak, I'm, I meant to say. His point streak would go to 10 games, giving Anaheim the 3-1 win. Alex Ayafalo would score the overtime winner to lead the game for LA, 3-2 the final score. Andrew Kopp had a three-point night, well, three-assist night to be exact, and Winnipeg would win the game 5-1. And then Tomazino for Nashville would score the game-winning goal winning the game 3-2 to two for the Fish. Moving on to Saturday. Now, there were a lot of games being played this day, so let's just get started. Anthony Duclair would record a four-point night, leading the way for Florida, 5-2 to two the final score. Austin Matthews would score twice in a big Maple Leafs game, 5-2 to two would also be the final score. Andre Palat would have three points and a nice afternoon win for Tampa Bay, winning 5-3. to three. Ilya Sorokin for the New York Islanders, man. His third shutout in nine games. Holy, that is insane. I mean, Sorokin is carrying the team on its back. If it wasn't for him, the Islanders wouldn't even be in the position they're, now, they're in right now. So 2 nothing would be the final score of that one. Tyler Bertuzzi would lead the Red Wings with another four-point night. 4-3 to three in overtime, the final score. Man, Bertuzzi has been lighting it up. For the Detroit Red Wings. And since the score was 4-3, to three, he was technically involved in all four goals. So good for him on that. The Blue Jackets would make it three straight wins, winning the game 4-2 to two, the final. Martin Jones backstopped the Flyers with 31 saves. 2-1 to one, the final score for Philadelphia. The Wild win a wild back-and-forth game. The final score would be 5-4 to four in a shootout. Robin Leonard would register a 36-save performance. 5-2 would be the final for Vegas. Later that night, the, the New Jersey Devils would grab the win in the shootout. 3-2 in a shootout. Oh, my bad. The Arizona Coyotes would then claw their way back and win the game 5-4. And then for the final game of Saturday night, Matthew Kachuk would cap it off with a four-point night, winning the game 6-0 over the New York Rangers. We now move on to Sunday. Just like Friday, there were five games being played this day, and so let's talk about them. So the first one, Troy Terry extends his point streak to 11 games, and Anaheim would win the game 4-1. to one. Quinn Hughes, Bo Horvat, and Elias Pettersson each would get three points and a 6-3 Vancouver win. Lucas Raymond increases lead in rookie point race, as Detroit would win the game 5-2. to two. The Minnesota Wild get their third consecutive win, winning the game 5-2 to two against, unfortunately, my New York Islanders. And the Chicago Blackhawks would hold on to win the game in overtime, 2-1, to one, the final score. On Monday, there was not much action on this day. There were only three games being played. However... There was action in one of the three games being played, and that was Alex Ovechkin. He officially tied Brett Hole with 741 career goals on all-time goals list as Washington would win the game 5-3. to For the second game, the LA Kings would win their fifth straight win, winning the game 5-1. to And then Igor Shosturkin backstops the win with 42 saves in a 4-3 New York Rangers win. So on Tuesday, November 9th, there were more games being played than Sunday and Monday combined. So the Kings would win their sixth straight game, winning 3-2 to in overtime. The New Jersey Devils would score five straight goals to earn the win, 
seven to three the final score. So it's a score fest there. Vladislav Nemestikov pots two and a Detroit Red Wings win, four to two the final score. The Carolina Hurricanes would come back to win their tenth game of the season, just a month in, two to one the final score in overtime. I feel like the Carolina Hurricanes are recreating what the Islanders did a f- couple years ago. Do you remember what when the Islanders went on that 17-game point streak and whatnot? Well, it feels like the Hurricanes are trying to break that record, you know? Um, next up, Patrice Bergeron would stay hot, winning, guess, scoring his fifth goal of the season. What I meant to say is the Bruins would end up winning 3-2 to two the final score. The San Jose Sharks would net three in the third to win four to one the final score. The Golden Knights would score three unanswered in, in the four two win, and Jordan Bennington would lead the St. Louis Blues to victory with thirty nine stops in a three two shootout victory. On the West Coast, Troy Terry would extend its point streak to twelve game <clears throat> to twelve games, winning the game three to two in overtime. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, would, I guess you would say his first good win for the Chicago Blackhawks, stopping 42 in a Chicago shootout win, 3-2, the final score. So just like Monday, there were only three games being played on Wednesday night. For the first one, Kirill Kaprizov would score his 30th career NHL goal, and most if you were to look at that on paper, a lot of people would think, okay, 30 career goals, woohoo, you're not you're not a Hall of Famer. Well, this is a big accomplishment for Kirill Kaprizov because they played a shortened season, about 56 games, I believe, in 2021, and then now scoring 30 goals in his first, I'd say, 70 NHL games, it's impressive. 30 goals in 70 games, that's not too easy. For the second game, Jack Campbell will collect a 36-save shutout for Toronto, 3-0 the final score. And then to cap it off, Tanner Jaunot will collect a goal and assist to lead Nashville to the win, 4-2. Thursday, just like Tuesday, was also very busy. Troy Terry extends his point streak once again to lucky 13, and the Ducks themselves would extend their winning streak, 7-4 the final score. For the Devils... Or excuse me, the Capitals, Zachary Fukal, if I'm saying his name correctly, earns his first career win in his first career game, 2-0 the final score for the Capitals. Miko Rantanen will lead the Avs with a three-point night, blowing out the Canucks 7-1 the final score. Jonas Ron- Ronberg and Paul Cotter each score their first career goal for Vegas, leading them to a 3-2 win. Matt Duchesne gets the overtime winner for the Preds, 4-3 the final. Kyle Connor stays hot in another big Jets win, 4-1 the final. The Kings win their seventh consecutive game, 2-0 shutout. Mackenzie Blackwood shuts out the New York Islanders, 42 saves, and winning the game 4-0. So I wasn't too happy about that win, not just because of us not scoring off of Mackenzie Blackwood, but just the defense, because I feel like... I think there was one goal that Ilya Sorokin should have stopped, but he didn't. Other than that, the Islanders practically just gave that one away. Sorokin, this one was not on Ilya Sorokin whatsoever. You can't score zero goals against the New Jersey Devils. Leon Dreisaitl would record a three-point night for the Edmonton Oilers, winning 5-3 to three the final. Four Montreal Canadiens would actually tally two points each. Not sure who these two Canadiens or excuse me, these four Canadians are, but they were all involved in all four goals, which because 4-2 would end up being the final score, so they were all busy. And for the final game of Thursday night, the Penguins would pounce on the Panthers in a shootout, 3-2, the final score. Which brings us to our final day of our NHL Weekly Recap. Alex Ovechkin scores a milestone goal, passing Brett Hull with 742 goals, another great accomplishment by the grade 8, currently still one of the best players in the NHL today. 4-3 to three would be the final score of that one. Austin Matthews records a game-winner in overtime, defeat, defeating, I believe it was Calgary, 2-1 to one, the final. Carter Hart, or <laughs> excuse me, Carter Hart, sorry about my bad English there. 
He leads the Flyers to a 2-1 victory, stopping 39 of 40. And this game, I watched a little bit of this game. He looked just like his 2020 self. He really did. Like, Hart was carrying the Flyers in this one. Dylan Cousins powers the Sabres with a two-goal night, 3-2 to the final score. Cool thing about this game is that I believe it was on ESPN. So, good to see the Sabres finally getting the attention they deserve. And then finally, the Blackhawks will win three in a row. Three in a row. Dang, I suck with my English today. Two to one, the final score. So before we wrap up this episode, let's take a look at the upcoming games for the National Hockey League. There are 13 going on tonight. So if you're a hockey fan, you should be very excited for this one. Only thing I don't like is that the New York Islanders are not a part of these 13 games. In fact, they have, I believe, a day off Sunday and then a game Monday, but we'll get to that later. One of these 13 games is currently going on right now. It's between the Bruins and the Devils. The game is tied at zero. I believe we're crossing halfway of the first period, but let's take a look at the other games. The Toronto Maple Leafs are playing the Buffalo Sabres at 7 o'clock. So are the, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Ottawa Senators. Also at 7 on the Montreal Canadiens and the Red Wings. The Battle of Florida continues. Panthers versus Lightning. New York Rangers versus Blue Jackets. Los Angeles Kings against Winnipeg Jets. There was one game at 7.30 between the St. Louis Blues and the Carolina Hurricanes. Two, two games at 8 o'clock, it looks like. Arizona Coyotes, Nashville Predators, and Philadelphia Flyers and Dallas Stars. One game at 9 o'clock looks like it's between San Jose and Colorado. And then the final two games of Saturday night are both at 10 between the Canucks and Knights and the Wild and Kraken. For the next Islanders game, that will be on Monday, I believe at 7.30 at Tampa Bay. Then I believe the next game the Islanders are playing after that is on Tuesday, this time at Sunrise, Florida. That one's at 7, not 7.30. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're off. And then the first ever game at UBS Arena will be played on November 20th against the Calgary Flames in Belmont, New York. Well, that's it for today's episode. As always, we hope you enjoyed. If you like our content, make sure to visit our website at CrackerJackSports.com for upcoming and previous shows. I'm your host, John Coro, and this was the Cracker Jack Sports Show. Have a great day, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.